Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. It is good to be back. Uh, thank you for uh, giving my family this uh, extended time of rest and enjoyment together. Truly a wonderful uh, time of renewal for all of us. But I am happy uh, to be back and to be back preaching. I was sort of hoping this week that uh, first sermon back, uh, two things. Uh, I hope I remember how to preach. And the second thing, I hope it's just, you know, one of those great passages where Jesus just gives us this beautiful little gem uh, to get my, get my feet wet again. But here we are in Mark chapter 7, one of, one of probably the most difficult passages um, to interpret and to make sense of when it comes to something Jesus said, right? If you read this just plainly, it doesn't make Jesus out uh, to seem like this good shepherd who's all loving and all caring and all merciful. Quite the opposite, right? Here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, if you didn't catch it, referred to a woman in distress, in pain for her sick daughter as a dog. Where, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this, Right? Now, there have been a lot of preachers and there have been a lot of sermons preached over the years that have tried to defend Jesus. They've tried to explain away what Jesus said to somehow soften the actual exchange. I'm sure over the years preaching Mark chapter 7, I've preached a sermon like that. I'm curious to, to, to explore that as a possibility but maybe there's something else here in Mark chapter 7 for us today that would, that, would highlight, um, that would highlight the spirit of Christ in an unexpected way. So we're told that Jesus here in Mark chapter 7 is tired. He's retreated away to a region outside of Jewish territory where he had primarily been doing ministry in Mark up to this point in the gospel. And he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which in the Old Testament, we could draw a couple of references there for this region being known by the Jewish people as a place of great idolatry, of, of idol worship. Um, certainly, it's a Gentile territory. We know that this territory was also Hellenized at this point, which means that the Greek influence and culture had come to dominate this region of Syro. Phoenicia. So this woman who comes to Jesus is not a, not a Jew. She's a Gentile who is now under the influence of Greek culture as well. So Jesus goes and it tells us here, from that region he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and here's the key line. He did not want anyone to know. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you we're just exhausted. Moms and dads out here. Have you ever had your kids in the house and you just need a minute? I'm going to go in the bathroom. 
I know this door creaks. I hope it doesn't. I hope they don't hear me. I need five minutes by myself. Now, I had an awesome sabbatical. Awesome. A lot of time with little kids, too. There were a few moments during sabbatical where it's just, I need to retreat by myself. You know the feeling. Imagine how it felt for Christ. His ministry got off with, with, with just a bang. Right before this, he had fed 5,000 people. He's healing people. He's going from synagogue to synagogue, teaching a primarily Jewish audience. He even goes to his hometown synagogue where it doesn't go so well. He was experiencing so many things. And what we're told at the start of chapter 7 is that he needs some time alone. Yet, it says he could not be hidden. So immediately, this woman comes in distress for her daughter. And she pleads with him. And what Jesus says should cause us alarm. It's not right to give the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So at the time, a dog was one of the greatest insults you could hurl at somebody. It's not polite or kind today to call somebody a dog. It was even worse then. Dogs were not cute house animals that greeted you at the door, wagging their tail when you came home. Dogs roamed the streets like they do today in many places around the world. One of the things Maya, our country director for HTF, often uh, is startled by every time he comes to the States, even though he's come year after year after year, is when he walks in a home and these dogs run toward him. Because in Haiti, the dogs are scavengers. They eat the trash. They, 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 they're wild. They're, they're feral. And it was certainly that way in the time when Jesus did ministry. Jesus also sort of um, downgrades or, or um, refers to dogs in a diminishing way in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not wise to throw your pearls among swine or feed it to the dogs. So how do we make sense of this? Now, if I wanted to try to defend Jesus like a lot of pastors have, if I want to try to preach a sermon from that angle, what a lot of people have said is that well, you see, what Jesus was doing there was he was trying to teach his disciples how not to act. <laughs> no, honestly, th- this, is, this is probably the most prevalent translation or, or interpretation out there. Just a little bit before in Mark's gospel, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are arguing who's clean and who's unclean. The religiously, quote-unquote, clean, the Pharisees can't hear the message. They don't recognize that he's the Christ. And yet here, in front of a woman who's a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, clearly not religiously clean, she's the one who actually proclaims Christ as Lord. So he's flipping it on its head. So in that interpretation, imagine the disciples here. Imagine the woman here. And imagine Jesus saying, I'm going to... Show them how they sound. It's not wise to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. I kind of imagine him looking at the disciples, shaking his head like, that's not what you do. Or, could it be possible that Jesus, in fact, was grumpy, was tired, 
and understood at that point in Mark's gospel that his ministry was for the children of Israel. He was going into this region not to heal, not to teach, to rest. Certainly you could make that case too. So if we looked at it from that angle, if we're open to that interpretation, which I know a lot of people struggle with, how can Jesus not be perfect all the time, right? I get it. Our natural defense is to defend Jesus, explain away. I think there's something here for us to uncover. And what it is, is that this Syrophoenician woman displays for us the Christ-like behavior. The Syrophoenician woman actually, I think, reflects back to Jesus the heart of his ministry. How are they connected? Four reasons, four things I see. The first, the Syrophoenician woman and Christ are both from lowly origins, right? Christ was born in a manger. He grew up as a carpenter's son. He wasn't born with wealth or material goods, certainly didn't have an upper hand in society. Either does this woman. Secondly, the Syrophoenician woman doesn't come to Jesus for herself. She comes pleading on behalf of somebody else, her daughter, somebody she loved. Just like Christ came to this earth not for himself. Think of those first temptations where the devil led him away and tempted him with all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus understood he did not come for himself. He came for the sake of the world. He came for the sake of others. The third thing I think we see is that this woman humbled herself before Christ. She goes to him, and in Matthew's version of this exchange, it's even more drawn out. She first comes in Matthew's version, and she pleads to just be seen by Jesus, and they dismiss her away, and then she persists, and she comes back, and then they have the exchange. She throws herself in the dirt, in the dust, on the ground, at his feet, in a position of great humility. For me, it conjures up images later of Jesus kneeling down in the dirt at the feet of his disciples. She displays the Christ-like humility. And finally, she could have taken offense. She could have taken offense in Matthew's version where she's just dismissed immediately. She could have taken offense when Jesus replied, Um, the children's food, the children of Israel, doesn't belong to the dogs, the Gentiles, the Syrophoenicians. But she persists. She moves forward because she's on a mission of love. She's on a mission for her daughter who is ill and she has tremendous faith that this one whom she's heard about can bring healing, can bring life. Just like Christ, the Syrophoenician woman is from lowly origins. She came not for herself, but for another. She displays great humility, and in the face of struggle and opposition, she persists. So if in this passage we focus a little less for the moment on Christ, trying to give some great teaching to his disciples, and more on the faith 
and the insight, the God-given spirit and humility of this woman, I think there are great implications. Because if you read on in Mark chapter 7, what happens next for Jesus, I find fascinating. Jesus, his whole ministry seems to be oriented in a new way after this exchange. He's redirected. His ministry is also accelerated. They move on from there. He heals the deaf man we heard about. No questions are asked. They're still in the region. He begins to heal not just Jew, but Gentile. His ministry begins to expand. They even go towards the region of the Decapolis. Whether Christ was teaching a lesson or the woman was teaching Christ a lesson, the question that I want us to wrestle with is when we encounter the Christ in another, are we open to being redirected? Or are, have our hearts grown so hardened and closed off that we can't see how God might want to expand our reach, our impact, and our witness? That's a question not just for you to wrestle with personally, but for us to wrestle with as a congregation. It's easy in today's world with all the complexities and all the challenges we face to say, I have come for this, this is my purpose, this is my role, I don't want to be bothered, I just want to rest, I just want to be left alone. But daily, moment by moment, God is breaking into our lives through Syrophoenician women who are asking us, pleading with us, through a spirit of humility and great purpose to see that we are capable of far more than we have imagined. There are a lot of Syrophoenician women in our world today who are pleading and begging and yearning for hope, healing, and life. The women and their children recently on the news at those gates at the Kabul airport Please, please, please. The child who is hungry in our own backyard and the one who's hungry in the streets of Port-au-Prince, your neighbor who's silently suffering next to you. Do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see that the ministry and the mission and the faith God has given us is not meant for us. It's meant for the whole world. So, Prince of Peace, may our hearts be opened, may they be challenged, and may we go out and live in love like Jesus, indiscriminately. May we love with full abandon. May we be the people of God God has designed us to be. Cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.